morning, everyone. Can you hear me? All right. Thanks, Carrie. I shut it off earlier so no one gets to hear me talking about anything else. I don't want to get caught in the bathroom or talking to someone, so I make sure that I shut it off. I don't want to have that problem. So thanks, Carrie. Thanks for pointing me out here. Um, so if you're here for the first time and you um, have not come here in the last few weeks, we've been talking about generosity. We've been talking about the importance of generosity and how um, that is important in our lives and our relationship with God. We began in the first week. This is our fourth week. In the first week, you talked about excelling in our generosity. And then the second week, we talked about cultivating generosity. And so we, we moved along, and now we're at this last week where we're talking about partnering with generosity and generosity. And so we wanted to talk a little bit about that because... Um, What's happened is that last week we had an incredible interview with Pastor Dennis and with Kathy Fay about the legacy, and we'll allude to it and a little bit this week if possible, but we want to think about generosity as we think about what does it mean to truly partner in it, to partner with God. And so that's important for us to see that's what it's about. It's not about giving to a church, a building, a people. You're not giving money to the history of a church. You're not giving money to the pastor. You're not giving money to the pastors. You're not giving money to a staff. You're not giving money to the leaders. You're not giving money because my father's father's father came to this church. You're giving money because you're giving it to God. And when you give it to God, you're being generous because God has been generous to each of us. We talked about that in the first week. God gave. And that's an important word. When he gives, he gives with everything that he has. And we must understand that we learned out throughout the weeks that it's all his anyway. So we give it back. But we should give back more than what we say the bottom floor is 10%. We should give more than that. And so we learned about that in the last few weeks. But it's not about the money. And we're going to even see in the life of Paul here in Philippians that it's not about the money. It's, it's deeper than that. So I ask a few questions. Should there be joy when we give to God? Yeah. We talked about that because we talked about in 2 Corinthians that sometimes we can do it in reluctance or under compulsion. And that's something that can hit our hearts. So we ask that question. Can we have joy when we give? When we write out the check or we push pay and we know that our credit card's about to push something of an, a magnitude of money that you know in the depth of your heart, you're like, boy, I could probably get another car with that or two cars. And when you push pay and you just push the button, you know, hey, wait a minute, I don't want to think about it. I'm just going to give because it's God's. And you don't want to do that, but you want to know that is there an attitude behind when you give? Secondly, I want to ask the question, and you're not going to find this in your outline, by the way, what brought Paul true joy in receiving generosity from others? We learned that in the book of Philippians, we have to understand the backdrop. The Philippians were giving to Paul. Where was Paul? We're going to find out he was in prison. How many of us would want to give to someone who's in prison and to help someone? I mean, that's a great question to ask because we'll learn a little bit about that in the next few moments. Third question is when we begin a partnership, do we partner with someone or something? Meaning, do we partner with the cause or do we partner with a person? 
Meaning if the front person of an organization for something that needs to be, uh, needs money and needs money to be contributed to or donated to, are we giving to the person? Do we trust the person who's leading that organization as the president? Or are we giving because I really can't stand the guy, but you know what, I'm going to give to the cause. I think it's a both and, it's not an either or. So with God, when we give to him, what's the cause? Someone's eternity. Who are we giving to? Sure hope we're giving to God. And those are the questions that we have to answer. So as you look, before you look to your outline, there's something important when we look at the book of Philippians. We have to understand who we're talking to, who's the audience. Whenever you're looking and studying the scriptures, you should never, I'll say this as a pastor, you should never look into it and assume application. Because the first thing you need to do when you're looking in the scriptures, and you can learn this in the future when we have a class called Studying Basic Bible Methods of Studying the Scriptures, is that you have to observe. And when you observe, then it turns to interpretation, and from interpretation, then you get the application. So we're looking at it and trying to get historical background as to what was happening here. So quickly, in the Philippian background, Paul visited twice during his third missionary journey. He had three missionary journeys, and in his third missionary journey, he visited twice. Once at the beginning, which we already tackled, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5, and again at the end, Acts chapter 20, verse 6. So we see this beginning and end in the scriptures. Five years after the final visit, as a prisoner of Rome, we'll talk about it in a minute, he received a delegation from the Philippian church. And the Philippians supported him in the past, Philippians 4, 15, and 16, we'll tackle that really quick, and contributed abundantly for the needy in Jerusalem, which we talked about at the first part of generosity series, 2 Corinthians 8, 15. We talked about the people who were poor in Jerusalem and how they had to reach and how the Macedonian churches, the area in Macedonia, were involving three other areas, were involving three areas. For after hearing about the imprisonment, they contributed again. Philippians 4.10. So after hearing the imprisonment, they still gave. Upon traveling to send the money to Paul, Aphrodite became very ill. We see that in chapter 2, 25 through 27. Therefore, for Paul sent Aphrodite back to the church with his letter. Now, what were the conditions, or, or say, what are the conditions today that we would know about in the prison today? Well, unfortunately, I've had... Um, unfortunately, I've had some siblings that have had to visit prisons for a couple of times, one particular in his life. And I've had to ask him a few questions, and he's talked to me. But I have other friends who have done that as well. But one thing we find out is that they usually get three meals, whether good or bad. It's not mom's cooking, nor grandma's cooking, but it's cooking. I mean, it's from a box probably. Potatoes are from a box, but it's cooking. It's, it's as edible as you want to make it. You can imagine it being mom's cooking and dream, but it's not. Shower stalls, toilet paper, everything. They have everything they need. When they had an opportunity to work out, they had leisure time. They would go work out with weights. You could even see it in all the movies that are out there. They even got a chance to get a job. There's job programs where they can make money. That's today. They have proper hygiene. They're given. They're able to take showers and take care of themselves and groom themselves. For the most part, for the most part, they're treated with as about as much respect as you can expect. But, and then in some cases, in most cases, they can actually take college courses and become educated. Not so when Paul was in prison. 
Let me tell you a little bit about Paul when he was in prison. Slave cells were in quarries and mines. Most cells were left in darkness. They didn't have internet. They didn't have any kind of phone, which they wouldn't have today anyway. They're not allowed to. But they didn't have lighting. They didn't have a bed. Paul's cell was dug out of rock and underground. Prisoners, their guards and provisions were lowered through an open-sized hole of a manhole. The manhole was the only means for entrance and exit. Rain, debris from the market and from the animals were their droppings in the house of darkness, they called it. That's what was the dungeon. There was no light in this dungeon. Yet in all of it, we see that his awful conditions, we see in the book of Philippians, he chose joy. In all of his imprisonment, in all of this that he had to deal with, he chose joy. Five times he mentions it in this letter. He received joy from the Lord. His salvation was something he did not earn, but he received it from God. He couldn't say he did it. And even so, God would, he would understand that he was, even though he was imprisoned, he knew God and him had fellowship and he had fellowship of others. Now, you might think, wait a minute, he had fellowship with others who was around him? No, he knew he had fellowship with the people at this church called the Philippians. And he knew that he was committed to something. In fact, when he uses the word koinonia, he's not just using it for fellowship or connection or close relationship. Actually, the word means participation or partnership. What he knows is that when he has fellowship, he's that he's partnered with God and partnered with others, and that the people outside are, are believing in what he's doing, and they're partnering with him for the sake of the gospel. The beauty of it is that they're partnering to not just simply help him spiritually, but mentally, emotionally, and physically. See, this is the whole being. It's not just about the spiritual. And 19 times it's mentioned in this book, in the New Testament. 13 of them are in Paul's writings. See, he understood fellowship. He maybe never even seen these people too long in his life, but he knew that there was a camaraderie of the Spirit of God that lived in each one of them. In fact, in chapter 2, verse 1, he says there's a partnership with the Holy Spirit, that he has fellowship with the Spirit of the living God. And when you and I have fellowship with one another, when we make music in our hearts with the power of God, there's things we, nothing can stop what God can do through us. And the partnership that comes is when we're in fellowship, knowing that we're for one sake, for one cause, for one mind. Because that's what he says in chapter 2, one mind, one heart. It's all the same mind for the sake of reaching what? Those who are far away from God for the kingdom of God. To reach those who are far away, that's the cause. To reach someone who doesn't have an attorney, that's an assurance. And so you would think, you know, Paul had joy being in prison. Whoop! The Philippians had joy to send a prisoner money. Whoop! What would be a random, what would a random person out there say to all this? Whoop! I mean, I think about that because I was saying, would you and I send a, a, a person who's in prison money? I know I wouldn't. I'd want to know everything about that person. I would want it documented. I would want someone who I trust to go in with an interview. I want to know everything about them. And then I'd pray on it. And after I pray on it, I have to really hear from God that i got to send money to that person. But the Philippians continue to serve. Continue to serve and partner with God in the life of Paul. See, what carried Paul through this time? What carried him with his joy in knowing the Lord loved him? 
What carried him was his partnership with God and the Philippians. What carried him was his, the Philippians' joy and generosity to partner with God for the sake of the gospel and the kingdom of God. What carried him was a sincere partnership with the Philippians, knowing that a church believed in his calling and supported him on a consistent basis. Why? Because his calling was their calling. His God was their God. The spirit of God he had was the spirit of God they had. It all came together with a same mind, a same heart, and that was the joy. It wasn't the joy of the circumstances. Who in the world would be happy with living in the condition of being in that prison, that dungeon, that darkness, and sitting there, there's droppings of animals all over you. I'm going to tell you something. When I go to Lancaster and I smell that dung, all that stuff on the cow, everything, on I just close my nose and say, have mercy, God, get me out of here. Because when I go down, I'm from the city. I don't understand that smell. I, don't, I go, ooh, that smell. Like, I don't want it. But when I smell it, I'm like, please, God, just get me as fast as you can without breaking the speed limit and please get me out of here. Because we didn't smell that. The only time I remember smelling it in Stanford, Connecticut, is when I had a drive by Japan in one of the communities where they had the sewage just to the left of us. We had to go to my, my mother's cousin's house often. And we, my mother would go, hold it, you know, see? And we would go like this. Because it stunk. It was awful. Me and when Eric and I were traveling to the Nationals game, and we were traveling, I'll be vulnerable here, and he was like, bro, what did you do? We were driving. I didn't know that there was a sewage right next to us driving up into Washington, D.C., and he started laughing like a little boy. I said, no, I didn't do nothing, man. I didn't do nothing. It smelled so bad. Ooh, that smell. So, So we have to understand that partnership with God carries us. And I want to give you four things about what it means to partner in generosity. See, when we partner with God through generosity, if you look at your outlines there, we come alongside of God and join him where he's at work. The Blackaby principle. Wherever God's at work, we join him. Listen to what Paul says. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you because the first two verses he talks about his salvation in Christ. Always, now let me stop you there. That word always means frequency, regularity of intercession. Interceding to the Father for the Philippians in their church, in his position, in a hole. And he's considering it joy. I don't know about you, but when I have my circumstances are not so joyful, I don't want to pray. When I'm struggling, I don't want to pray because I go into victim role. When I don't like my circumstances, I start saying things like, you know, Lord, this isn't fair. I start getting frustrated with God. I start saying, God, this is not. And I start to have my moments with God. And then I fall to my knees. But I have failed to always pray. And it's a joy when you can pray. There's a joy when you can join God and come alongside of him. Because that's what Paul did. He interceded and he prayed. He was praying for the Philippians on a regular basis, interceding to the Father on their behalf. Because he knew the Spirit of God and Jesus can intercede to the Father on their behalf. And he goes on to say this, in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. Joy. It's a gladness in this heart. It's not about his circumstances. There's joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel, he tells the Philippians, from the first day until now. 
that you would be willing, he's saying to the Philippians, to partner, that you're willing to have fellowship with me, that you're willing to have fellowship with God. That warms my heart, Paul said, that you're willing to have a partnership with me. It moved him because, as I said, it means to associate, commune, fellowship. What's wonderful about knowing Christ is you can meet someone for five minutes and feel like you've known them for the rest of your life, for all your life. When I met Dennis for the first time in his house, and when I've talked to him on the phone, I felt like I knew a brother all my life. I mean, we're from the same area, so we just, we said it together. It is what it is. I mean, that's one of our sayings up there. Forget about it. Who knew? But, but that's not what connected us. It's our love for Jesus and for his heart and his passion and similar things that we've had in our past together and the struggles that we've gone through, knowing that God has saved us and redeemed us. And see, the generosity that knowing that God has saved us and redeemed us, we in our hearts want to lean towards generosity. That's what God wants to do. See, the Philippians came alongside of God and partnered with Paul. And Paul traveled thousands of miles through three missionary journeys, being imprisoned often. Paul touched millions, not thousands, but millions. Why? How do we know that? Because he's touching you and me right now. His life, that partnership has affected our lives. This letter has affected our lives. God uses it in our lives. Because when we're struggling, he gives us joy to know that, hey, I can still have joy when I'm struggling. Never easy. Never easy. Always difficult. And so when we give to the Lord, we partner in our present lives of grace, church, and for the future that not only those who are present in their lives attending here, but for the future of who will be attending here. See, when we give to the Lord, we partner in local and global missions here at Grace Church. When we give to the Lord, we partner with God in the lives that will be changed from people who will be moved from here or to another state. We influence someone's life through Grace Church, just like we saw Linda, just like we saw Tim. When Linda was going through the struggle, knowing that she had to endure having cancer and then having to endure her own husband. She had to consider it joy, although not easy, because in her circumstance it was difficult. I would be angry with her if not more angry. But yet she saw that from the beginning to the end that God helped her, that she knew God was taking her through and carrying her through that struggle, that she wasn't alone trying to tread in the water, but she knew God was the one who saved her. And through it, Tim understood too, because even when alcoholism, he still deals with it, because each one of us has our own addictions. You know, sometimes a phone is an addiction. Sometimes internet is an addiction. We all have an addictive personality in some way. But lo and behold, God is doing that work. And he's doing it in the work of, of his people. So when we understand and we see the scriptures, when we understand and we see, as I just read through Philippians 1, 3 through 5, he goes on to say this, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, we have to continue to partner. Second thing, we actively participate in the furtherance of the gospel. You have to understand something in the backdrop here. Paul has false teachers around him, Judaizers. They're questioning him. They're saying the reason why he's in jail is because he's living in sin. The reason why he's struggling so much is because he's left Judaism. The reason why he's struggling so much is because he's not following God. See, the Judaizers believed that you had to keep the law in order to honor God. They believed you had to keep the law and to be in a right standing with God. They didn't see anything about Jesus, or if not, they saw Jesus, they added it to the law. And they added it to salvation with the law. We knew in the Jerusalem Council that's what it was all about. 
Well, Paul had to fight against these false teachers who were questioning him. And now when you're thinking about the Philippians, they were in question. They were saying, well, you know what? Is this true? Is he in chains because of sin? Is he in chains because he's rebellious against God? Is he in chains because he's misleading God's people in the, Jude in the Judaism? Is he misleading God's people who are Israelites? What is he doing here? No, they knew their giving was not in vain because they understood Paul. They understood that he was serving their God. He understood because they had the spirit of the living God that was working through them. But Paul had to speak to it. And Paul speaks to it when he looks, when you look at verse 7, and we see that, it says, it is right for me to feel this way about you, Philippians, all of you, because I hold you in my heart and affection, for you are all partakers with me of grace. Partakers meaning partners, fellowship. We're working together for the grace of God, not the law, both in my imprisonment and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel. So he knew that even in his imprisonment, it was for the grace of God. He knew that it was for the defense of the gospel. You know where we get defense, that word in the Greek? Apologetics. That's the Greek word. Confirmation, it's confirmed by God. See, you and I, when we're called by God, it's confirmed by God. When he, God sends someone out, and he sends someone out from a church, that's why the elders come up. Because the elders are appointed and anointed of God to confirm and to send out and commission his people. That's what he saw in Acts 13. That's what we see. So Paul was confirmed that from the very beginning, no matter your situation, no matter what you're going through, no matter the difficulty, when God calls you, he calls you. And he calls you out for a purpose. And when you and I, when we partner with God, we're partnering in the life of someone else. But not for the sake of that person, but for the sake of the gospel. So you and I, when we are in Christ, we're in for the sake of the gospel. It's not about us. But also we have to be careful. Because as we serve the Lord, we have to be careful that we don't think we're supermen trying to do it inside of our own limitations. Because as often as I can even be passionate, I go overboard thinking I can handle all things, and I can't. And I have to say that to myself. Because it's God's work, it's not mine. And for that sake, we have to understand that that's what God is calling us. So when we are looking at Paul, he's working through that. Even in verses 12 through 14, as you look at it, I want you to know, brothers... That what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's saying everything I've gone through, all the turmoil, imprisoned, people questioning me and saying that I'm doing this for myself and trying to gain money and trying to get, just pulling the wool over the heads of, of the Philippians and trying to gain money. He's saying no. This is for the advancement of the gospel. It's not to impede the gospel. So that, verse 13 it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. That's a bold statement. And most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord for my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So now it's for the advancement of the gospel because those who are giving in generosity are now becoming even more bold. We have to be stretched in our walk with God. We can't be comforted often in our walk with God. God has to stretch us. He'll comfort us, but he's stretching us. And he was stretching Paul. And when we partner, we are helping advance this cause for the kingdom of God in each one of us. That's what's important. I mean, Paul went so far in chapter 4, verse 14, he says, Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. <laughs> It was kind of you to have fellowship with me in my trouble. What happens when we hear someone struggle? One of the things that we struggle with as pastors, we could hear so much. All of the problems, the struggles and difficulties were burnt out. 
90% of pastors are burnt out because we're receiving so much information. Charles Swindell said this. He goes, the emotions of a pastor, you start off the day with a birth, you end with a funeral. The emotions that a pastor has to go through trying to comfort and care and meet the needs of each person, each family, trying to specifically get involved in each one of their lives is impossible, which leads to emotional burnout. And Paul is saying, it's so kind of you to even partner with me in my trouble. But it's tough. But he considers it all joy. He considers it all joy. And each one of us should do the same. We are actively pursuing the gospel and furthering it. So the third thing, we gain assurance that God will finish what he started. We understand that. See, the word, as I am sure of this in verse 6, is the word convinced, sure, certain in the Greek. It's in a perfect active, which means God is doing the work. So Paul's not saying, I'm convinced that I can do this. I'm convinced in you, Philippians. I'm convinced that I got a good team here who's going to help me get across this land or to the next city about 20, 30, 50 miles, and I can't catch a cab, and I can't get on a train, and I sure enough can't take a bus, so uh, my feet have to do the walking, and I hope I can still be talking when I'm there. Because, see, this is what's happened. He's convinced of one thing, that when God starts something, he finishes it well. God's got a good track record. And you know what he says? He says it's a good work. So I know that when God starts a good work, he doesn't finish with a bad work. So if you and I are struggling and we're imprisoned like Paul, not so much physically but metaphorically, we're imprisoned in our marriages, we're imprisoned with our children, we're imprisoned in our jobs because we can't stand our job and we want to get out. We want God to try to convince the, our bosses to fire us in some way so we can get out of there. Which, where you teenagers feel like you're imprisoned when you're in school, your teachers. I know some of our teachers here at GCA, you feel like you're imprisoned because you got to sit there and you're looking at the second clock, not the minute clock. You're looking at that second hand, I mean, not the minute hand. You're looking at that clock and saying, when is this class going to be over? Or some of you are imprisoned right now because you got to hear me preach a couple more minutes. Whatever the case may be, our imprisonment, our imprisonment, is only what we allow it to be. Because Paul said, the word of God is not in chains, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 and 10. We're not in chains because the gospel's not in chains. He says, I'm not in chains. It's for the furtherance of the gospel. And he goes on and on and on and say this. Tim mentions this, Tim, or, you know, Tim mentioned this really, I love what Tim mentioned at the beginning of his video. He says, things don't go well when I try to solve it in my own strength. Remember when you said that, Tim? I loved it because it's true for all of us. I often am a fixer, and I try to fix things. Try to fix my marriage at times. Try to fix my kids. Try to fix my life. And I've learned over the years, in 30 years, that I've got to learn to stop trying to fix it, that God has to do the work. And in each one of us, we have to find joy no matter what our circumstance because ultimately... I think the one that, the only one I can think of myself that I can be imprisoned with is Bruno. That's the only person that can imprison me until I believe that God has given me something beyond it. 
and a look when I think and I see as the scriptures holds out, even in chapter 4, verse 15, it says this, And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you alone. Only you. You were the ones that were willing to do so. And he encouraged them. And he continued to say, thank you for supporting me. Thank you that even after five years, you still came back and supported me. I went into prison and you supported me. And see, so he went so far as to say this, the fourth thing. We accrue profits in both party accounts. Look with me to verse 16, because this is what it's actually saying. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit, which is the profit, that increases, accrues to your credit or your account. I seek the profit that increases to your credit. It says in the ESV, no, I seek the profit that accrues into your account. Real simple. It's, it's financial terms, but he's talking about spiritual terms here too. When you and I partner in the life of someone else, you're not just giving the gift because I'm not talking about the gift, the financial gift. I'm talking about that you're willing to give something valuable to yourself, valuable before God and saying, I'm willing to invest in another person's life. I'm willing to give because I'm giving to God. And when you're willing to do that, that speaks to the person who receives it. Wow, this person believes in what God's doing in my life. And not only that, it goes back. It ricochets back into their account. Because when they give, it's for eternity. And they grow. So each one of us, when we give, it's not in vain. It's not in reluctance. It's not under compulsion. It's to give cheerfully in our hearts with joy. Because we know that when God begins a good work, he finishes it until the end. Each one of us knows that it's not about us and what we give because it's already his. God wants to help us understand that it's more than just a sacrifice. So he goes on to say this. In verse, even going on into verse 17 and 18, and he goes this. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Aphrodite the gifts you sent. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Do you know the word sacrifice means something's got to die? You know what has to die is the Philippians in their hearts trying to keep the money for themselves. Dying to self, willing to give unto God. When we give, we give with joy that we give. We give knowing that something has to die in us. And my God, it goes on, will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's the beauty. And that's why we understand that the sacrifice that he was talking about that was pleasing to God was the sacrifice that the Macedonians were willing to do. They were willing to give out of their poverty. Remember we talked about in the first week? They were willing to give not only within their means but beyond their means. They were willing to sacrifice everything they had because they understood it was all God's. That's generosity from the heart. And when we look at the lives of Tim or Linda or anyone else in our church or anyone above and beyond, we understand what we give, we give to lives that are being changed. It's about transformation. It's about being conformed to the image of Christ. It's about us giving because we want to see more people come to faith in Jesus Christ. We want to see more families come here, more hear the gospel, more here be changed, more here here to be set free from their sin. That's why we're here. And that's why we give. 
We give unto God. We don't give unto a person, a pastor, or anyone else for that matter. We don't give to the history of a church. We give because we give to God because we want God to change a life. And when, we, and when God gives in our hearts, we give back. We give because we want to see transformation. And that's why we showed a little bit of those videos to show you that lives are still being transformed in the life of Grace Church 40 years and running. And God brings forth a history here, but we're thankful that it's God's history, it's his work, and he wants to continue to do that work. So I want to encourage you as you give, you're giving because we want to change and see change lives. We want to see God change lives. There's a story in a book I'm reading by David Green, who happens to be one of the owners of Hobby Lobby, giving it all to God. He has a story where he was asked by a missionary in the Philippines to come and to talk with the minister of education at the, at the country, in the country. So he was been invited to Manila to talk and have a meeting with this government official. And when he did so, the government official sat down with him and he said, you know, we really have appreciated the United States, all their service, their help, their, their helping us through after World War II. But one thing we're disappointed with is that you guys have removed the Bibles from the schools in 1963. And we have followed suit with that. And when we did that, we have, saw, we, have, we have seen awful results from it, terrible results. Therefore, your request to come here now to want to offer this book of hope, this organization to come into our country, we deny your request. And this Book of Hope was, is an organization where they have a book that offers the gospel in so many different fashions and forms to be able to, for the children and the youth all around these countries to be able to see the, and hear the gospel as it's being taught to them. It's been very successful. And um, Bob Hodgkins, who is the president, his son went to meet with this missionary. Um, and David Green, who is the lo who's lobby, uh, Hobby Lobby's uh, owner, what happened was he happened to meet with Bob Hawkins at the same time. So Rob is there, the son of Bob, who's over this organization as the president, is in the Philippines, and they're trying to convince this government official that, hey, you're not the only one who's struggling. We as America have struggled over the years, too, by doing the same thing. So through that discussion and that meeting, now the government official understands, he emphasizes, or he, he empathizes with them, and then he says, he emphasizes saying, you know what, I'm going to have my secretary send me a letter right now, I'm going to put my seal of approval to do this. The missionary turns over to Rob, who's the son's president of the hope, you know, the, 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 the presence of, you know, the hope thing, the hope organization, the book of hope organization, and he turns over and he says this. He goes, how much money do we have to have? He goes, $2 million. So then the government official says, are you going to do it? Rob looks over at him. He says, I can't do this. I can't do this. He's saying in his mind. He goes, okay, we'll do it. The mouth of the missionary drops. He looks over and he goes, what in the world did you just do? He said, listen, God's got to do this. We're just going to have to trust him for it. We're going to make this commitment. We have no idea what he's going to do, but we're going to believe him to do it. Calls his father, gets on a plane to go to Tokyo in his transition flight, calls his father and saying, Dad, I have good and bad news. Good news is that we have the contract with the government. The government official says that we have it. He put a seal of approval on it. Bad news is we had to come up with $2 million. His father says, laughingly, he says to him, he goes, ha, 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 son, you don't know what God's doing right now. I'm meeting with Dave Green. 
I just met with him. He just made a contribution of $2 million to our organization. God was doing the work behind the scenes, and his son had no idea what God did. He made a commitment, and he had no idea what God was going to do. You've been offered today a commitment card. If you haven't received one, there are ushers here. Please raise your hand. They're ready to give it to you. If you haven't received one, it's a card that looks like this. I want you to have one. If you haven't, please raise your hand. It's okay. Someone will get it to you in just a moment. I want you to do something for me. It says there, if we, I, we prayerfully commit to give blank to the general church budgets, weekly, monthly, or annually. Then there's some, you know, areas as well additionally. I want you to sign this and date it. And do what Rob Hodgkins did. He didn't know what was coming. I do that. I don't sign it. I'll be honest, I don't sign it. I just say to God, what do you want me to give? And that's between you and God. I don't want you to bring this back. I want you to place this either on your refrigerator or somewhere in your bathroom, somewhere where you're often hanging out, in your TV room, and remind yourself, when it's difficult. Remind yourself when Kathy and Dennis were saying last week about when they committed to give and the appliances went down and the cars were being, you know, had the accidents and they had the problem with the dog, you know, they still kept on giving because they said we made a commitment. And I want to encourage you when you do that, that's between you and God. We're not asking for you to return it. I want you to hold this tight because that's your commitment to the Lord. Not asking you to do anything more than what God's calling you to do. We haven't asked any of that, but I'm asking you to make a commitment as your pastor. I'm asking you to say, God, what do you want me to do? And I want to encourage you to take this with you today. If you have not received one and you're not able to get one, we'll having our time. If you're there, we can offer you one then at that time. There's also one at the information desk that you'll be able to pick up. We want to encourage you to do so. Let's take a moment and pray as the worship team is bringing up. We're going to have a presentation of new members here in our church, but we're going to have a song to finish us up here. I want to just pray that God would continue to work in our hearts as we move forward uh, towards the end of this service. Father, thank you. I know there's some people here that are wondering, when am I going to be able to eat? In a few moments. But Lord, we just pray that you would encourage our hearts today. What is the commitment that you're calling us to do? It's not about us. It's not about Grace Church. Pastor Dennis and I are not looking at this and saying, oh boy, oh boy, what can we do? The elders are not saying, oh boy, oh boy, what can we do? We're just asking you to do that work in their hearts. Lord, it's your work. It's not ours. Holy Spirit, it's you who does the work in the believer. It's not ours. We're just stewards, servant leaders, trying to hear from you what you want to do with your church. So, Lord, today, make that commitment clear to us as we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen.